Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm your host, Danny, and today I got a good friend of mine. Uh, we're going to be talking about something I've wanted to talk about for quite some time. Now, if you're actually clicked on this video or the podcast, you already know what the topic is because the topic's in the header, but right now we haven't revealed the topic on the video, and the topic's actually not Mormonism, not Jehovah's Witness, not Seventh-day Adventist, not Scientology, but it's one I've been wanting to do for a long time. And this is the topic on Islam. Now, uh, here at our church, I've actually taught through Islam, taught through a lot of the history and things like that. But I wanted to get someone who's a lot more knowledgeable on this religion than myself. And so today I have a good friend of mine. Uh, just welcome to C4C Apologetics. Do you want to share a little bit about yourself and what what really gives you the, the idea that you're an authority on the subject? You know, can you share a little bit about all that? Yeah, I've just, uh, I have a particular uh, burn in my heart for Muslims. Um, and that's let me, uh, the job that I have gives me a lot of time to myself. And uh, I've used that uh, sometimes upwards of five, six hours a day um, when I'm working. Uh, it gives me yeah. a lot of opportunity to study Islam while I'm working. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, going through the Hadith and the Quran and such and so forth. Um, I spent a lot of time listening to different sheikhs um, and imams um, in the mosques, um, speaking to Muslims and such to try and really understand what they believe without distorting it or getting it from hearsay or, uh, you know, taking it out of context or anything such as that. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know a lot of I don't hardly know of anybody that really engages in Islam. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, when I went to look into it back in the day, I didn't, I could hardly find anybody that was really prepared to answer questions, honestly, right. from the sources. And so I just uh, set out to say, well, if somebody can't do it, then I'm, I'm willing to do it. Um, but the purpose is simply to, um, purpose is simply to, uh, approach Islam in the correct way, to approach Muslims in a loving way, to um, to reach them with the truth, and, you know, to to just do it honestly. You know, I, like I said, I don't want to take yeah. anything out of context. I just want to try to do my best to, to do it that way. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot, there are a great many Muslims in the world. I mean, there's well over a billion of them, yeah. and um, people think, some people act like it's a lost cause. It's not a lost cause, um, especially in modern day times. There are, you, you wouldn't believe the amount of Muslims that are coming to Christ right now. Um, uh, it's a lot. Um, and one of the, the main groups that's reaching um, uh, Muslims actually is, are the Chinese. Um, they'll come from China and uh, be hired as workers in certain rich Muslim families. Mm -hmm. um, like they could be just like house servants or such. Yeah. And these are devout Christians coming from China and they'll see um, Muslims and whether it be uh, like Qatar or, <laughs> or such. And uh, they'll see they have, you know, might, maybe they're depressed or whatever. And they say, oh, well, you can have peace. Let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah. So, um, you know, somebody needs to be willing to do this and we just need to do it in the right way. We need to do it in a loving way. You know, um, we're all made in the image of God and um, God loves uh, those Muslims just as much as he loves me. Yeah. So so that that's that's the purpose. Um, but I've spent a lot of time, a lot, a lot, a lot of time over the past 
I would say eight years. Uh, I study probably around 30 hours a week um, Islam for around the last eight years. Um, so um, I feel as though uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to speak on the subject in a way that, that is honest. And, and hey, let me, let me put it this way. If I say anything specific, I have the receipts to show. So, you know, you can't, you can't argue with that. If I have the Quran right there or the Hadith, how, how are you going to argue against that? So, <laughs> so if there's going to be an audit happening, you got the receipts to show. That's right. <laughs> now, one thing you said that was fascinating to me was, uh, well, let me ask you this. What is the ratio between how your research has gone from, okay, over here, you're listening, watching and reading is actual islam teachings versus what you're reading other people say about islam what would be the ratio like are you like 95 percent all watching reading islam stuff and five percent about islam or is it all coming from the horse's mouth metaphorically uh it's mostly i would say 65 percent from the horse's mouth um wow. and then i'll try and get like I'll try and read different commentaries on it, though it's hard to come by. Some of the commentaries I've read on Islam, you know, they're, uh, you know, they might be like some book that I have that I'll go through that's like from the year 1100. <laughs> you know, oh, some wow. of the stuff, some of the stuff I've gone through is from, um, he's not a Christian, but Maimonides, a very popular Jew. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he has some books on Islam and stuff, just covering basic information, um, not really presenting his theology. Just but a few hundred years after the advent of Islam then, huh? 1100, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Only 500 years after. Yep. So, you know, wow. he's a little bit closer than we are. <laughs> a, a little, little bit. <laughs> I imagine you could see really the evolution of Islam, too, from its tenets and teachings, from looking at the 1100 writing to what we see today. But we're probably going to get into all that. It's it's changed quite a bit. Um, a lot of what is presented in like a mainstream, like in the West and what Islam actually teaches are um, two totally different things. Uh, they are not the same thing, uh, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Um, but uh, some, sometimes it's quite difficult because, uh, uh, for instance, um, if you go to read through the Quran, uh, you really have to be careful when you sift through it, because I have yet to find an English translation of the Quran that is anything close to accurate. Oh, um, like if you read it in Arabic, there will be way more words. You'll look at them side by side. The Arabic, it is way, the, the verse is way bigger. Then you look at the English next to it. You're like, this is half the size. So and can, so, so can you speak Arabic? No, I cannot. I, I actually use, um, I use, well, um, I don't know that Google would, would, would like this, but Google's been my friend in it. Google Translate is my friend. Okay. <laughs> I, I use software and uh, yeah. I translate it word by word, which you got to be careful doing because um, yeah. if you just enter like a whole verse in of software, yeah. instead of um, instead of like it translating word by word, it'll just find something on the internet that's already been translated and Google oh. Translate will give you that. So you have to actually translate it word by word by word yeah. then wow. you'll get a pretty good accurate translation now from what <laughs> i understand pretty tedious from what i understand there's a lot of dialects within uh the language as well uh yes yes so and that makes it even harder and uh you know and sometimes as a non-arabic speaker though i do know i know some arabic words but I, i'm not an arabic speaker yeah. sometimes 
sometimes, you know, context within the language I is lost on me. So I'm like, well, you know, yeah. I think that it's saying this, but I'm not exactly sure. So I'm just gonna leave this one to the side. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to be sure on this. And sometimes I'm like, I think it's saying this, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's okay. Well, we've mentioned a few of these terms. And one thing that's big with me is defining terms. And so when people hear the term Islam and they hear the term Muslim, could you explain what what do those mean? What is Islam and what is Muslim? Uh, Islam is is not just a religion, but it's also a system of government. Mm. Um, uh, Islam means, well, a lot of times in the West, you'll hear Islam. Um, it said that Islam means peace. It does not. Okay. Islam means surrender. And a lot of even Christians and other people who are well-meaning will tell you that it means submission, but it, okay. it doesn't. It means surrender or total surrender. Oh, um, okay. And Islam is just, it's, it's more than religion. It's also a system of government mm -hmm. under which you are um, surrendered to the will of Allah, which is the um, the God of the Muslims. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they believe that Islam, this government must spread until the whole world is Muslim and every single country that is under Islam, um, historically, it's kind of broken up right now, but historically is under one caliphate. So they're all, they're all under one head leader who is the head religious leader and governmental leader at mm -hmm. the same time. And that and they believe each country gets to maintain its autonomy in a sense but they must spread until each country is under the caliphate. And so it's, it's more than just a religion. It's also a system of government. Um, but a, a Muslim is just someone who has um, declared themselves a slave of Allah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a common Muslim name for boys is Abdul, which okay. means slave, or Abdullah, oh. which is slave of Allah. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not their first name, it's very commonly their middle name. Oh, okay. um, so it's 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 name it's the name they give their children to set them apart. You know that like this is what we are. We're we're dedicated um, um, Muslims, um, but they just believe that a Muslim would be someone who believes that they uh, must fully submit themselves to Allah and the Prophet Muhammad, or the uh, their Prophet Muhammad, yeah. in in every single way. Um, they must. Every judgment that Muhammad ever made in his life, they have to follow that. Every word that Muhammad ever said must be respected and listened to. Um, and to become a Muslim, you have to say the Shahada, which okay. is their it's like their declaration of faith, um, which uh, and it just is just saying there's there's no God but Allah, so they reject all other gods, all other gods, and Muhammad is his messenger. And um, now with that, uh, <clears throat> so correct me if I'm wrong, like with Boko Haram and, and a lot of these uh, Islamic groups that will typically see a black flag and with Arabic writing on it. Is that the Shahada written on it? From what I understand, that that may be the Shahada. It's a part. A part of it. I okay. believe it's a part of the Shahada. Okay. Because um, the Shahada, um, yeah, I don't know how, yeah. I don't believe they could fit the entire Shahada onto it. The yeah. Shahada is not super long, but I do, I do think it would be slightly too long to comfortably fit onto a flag. So the Shahada would be similar to sort of like 
Israel's declaration in Deuteronomy chapter six, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he goes on uh, a few verses later. Is that sort of the same idea that their Shahada is? Uh, yes, uh, something like that. Yeah, it, it's it's similar in that way. Yeah. Okay. So understanding what Islam is and, and who Muslims are, uh, how old is the Islamic religion? How When, when was this uh, born? Uh, Islam goes back to the year 613. Um, Muhammad was 40 at the time and okay. he would commonly go to this, um, cave of Hira, which is, um, it's outside, um, modern day Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And they would say that he would like, uh, meditate there and such. And, um, one day when Muhammad was there in this cave, uh, they say Jibril, which is what they call the angel Gabriel. It's like the Arabic way of saying Gabriel. Um, Jibril came upon Muhammad mm -hmm. and came upon him and started and demanded that he read because he had the first um, passages of the Quran that Allah wanted to reveal to Muhammad okay. with him. And he demanded that Muhammad read them. And Muhammad said, I can't read. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a common Islamic belief that Muhammad was illiterate. Mm -hmm. um so he said i cannot read and so jabril started um strangling him um grabbed him started strangling the life out of him shaking wow. him you know read read and then and then finally he let him you know he, he get let some air maha would say I, I can't read he would try and read i cannot read i cannot yeah. read and he'd start strangling him again he would demand read read yeah. and then this continued to go on until finally um, uh, Muhammad said, I cannot read, I cannot read. And then finally they gave it to him verbally. Um, oh, wow. and so Muhammad, uh, Muhammad came down from the cave, went to his home, to his first wife, Khadijah, and he was terrified. He was, he was terrified. It said, sources say he was extremely distraught and shook up. He thought he might be like possessed. Yeah. Um, he didn't know what was going on. And so he went to his wife, terrified and saying, hide me, hide me. Mm -hmm. And so he said, there's this angel or jinn or I don't know what it is with me. And I, I don't know what's happening pretty much. Mm -hmm. And so Khadija had a plan. She um, had Muhammad climb on top of her and she uh, gradually undressed. Um, herself and she would every she would undress herself a little bit more with Muhammad on top of her and she and she would say look back is he there now Muhammad would look back he's still there and then she would undress a little bit more and then she would say look back and then he looked back again but he's still there and then finally she pretty much got herself mostly naked mm -hmm. and then she said look back is he still there he said no he's not there and this um was there a way, um, her idea to confirm that he was a prophet because she said that if he was, if it was truly the angel Gabriel, then the angel Gabriel would, would not want to see them in a sexual act. So, um, hmm. so they look back, Gabriel wasn't there. And then this was their confirmation because if it was a jinn, which I guess I should explain real quick. Um, yeah. 
Muslims do not believe the same way that we Christians believe in regards to like um, angels and devils or demons or whatever right. you want to call it. They don't believe that same way. They believe that all angels, there's no, there's not really a fallen angel. All angels are subject to a law and they're pretty much in his, they're generally in his uh, good graces mm-hmm. and such. There was no fall of angels. There was nothing like that. And they do not believe that what, what we call Satan, they call the shaitan. They do not believe that he's an angel. They believe that he is a jinn, which is what we call a genie. Mm-hmm. And the jinn are small little creatures made out of smoke and fire. Um, they can be invisible or uh, there's different sources on it. They, usually they're invisible to us, but they can also take appearances of people or things in order to, to deceive us. Mm-hmm. But they believe that the jinn are all around us constantly uh, trying to influence us in a negative way mm-hmm. to break um, Allah's law and to do evil deeds. Um, and they believe that each each person alive has a jinn um, with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but the idea from um, Khadijah was that if it was a jinn, well, he would have no problem watching us. Right. So, th- so if it was a jinn, he still would be there. Mm-hmm. If it was an angel, he wouldn't want to watch such a thing. Mm-hmm. He's not there, so therefore we know that he's an angel. And mm-hmm. that was their way of um, confirming it. And then from there, Muhammad had confidence that, oh, I am a true messenger. This, this Quran being revealed to me really is from Allah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, but that, that's not the answer that a Muslim would give you. Okay. Um, a Muslim would say that Islam has been around since the beginning. Okay. Uh, is, Muslims believe that Islam started with Adam and that every, every single prophet, and starting with Adam, because they believe Adam was a prophet, um, that every single prophet starting from Adam all the way down through Moses and all of them, um, we're all Muslims mm-hmm. and all said the Shahada, all confess that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Mm-hmm. And they believe that every single prophet from Adam up through Muhammad has exalt has had to say the Shahada and has exalted Muhammad as the great preeminent prophet that would come. Okay. Um, and um, but I think the history of it is, I guess, one last little bit that could be said about it. I think the history on it matters as, as far as who was there at the time. Um, uh, so there was four main groups there in Mecca, mm-hmm. or, or, or I should say in or around Mecca. Okay. So you had the polytheists, which we don't know too much about. And the, the Quran says a lot about them uh, uh, in the sense of, like how Allah feels about them, how they're to be treated and, and so on and so forth. Right. It doesn't yeah. say too much about who they were. Right. Um, as far as things carried through, there's a lot of reason why you think that they might be like some sort of like early Hindu group or something, but yeah. that can't really be known for sure. And then the Quran says that in the area you had the Jews uh-huh. um, and they were three, three great Jewish tribes in the area. Then the third group um, is the Nasara. Mm-hmm. 
And then Nasara, they say, uh, are the Christians. But Nasara is not the uh, Arabic word for Christian. It's the Arabic word for Nazarene. Oh, okay. Um, and I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure how, if they were like legitimate Christians or if they were some like um, wayward sect okay. um, with a bunch of false teachings. Uh, right. I, I went to study it several times, but um, it's, I have a lot of conflicting reports. And so yeah. I'm not too sure about it. Um, but when, but when it, when the Quran talks about Christians, quote unquote, it's really talking about the Nazarenes, um, which, which was a Jewish group as particularly ethnically Jewish group of mm -hmm. Christians or false Christians. I'm not sure. Um, okay, yeah. that had settled over there. Um, and then the, um, and then the last group that you have are the, um, the Sabians. Okay. Um, which, which we don't know much of anything about uh, the Sabians today in, in, in popular Christianity. We don't really talk about them because uh, they've been largely wiped out. Um, there's maybe only 40,000 to 100,000 of them in the world today. That's like wow. what the current estimates are. But back in the time, back in the day, they used to be a really big deal as far as Christianity is that lit, that Christians that lived in the East. They are mm -hmm. majorly opposed to, um, to Christ. Okay. Majorly uh, hate Jews, uh, particular hatred for Jews. And I'm going to get to why I believe this is important okay. um, when this last group is described. Um, but modern day they recognize them as the mondaeans and they're they've mostly been in in iraq but okay. the um but this is actually like a, a significant group uh that used to oppose christians and jews in a major way especially christians uh back in the day uh, they have their own holy book that's called the ginza rabah uh, which they believe adam wrote and they they talk about a lot of the same not not only but they have a lot of the same figures that are in the bible um, Old Testament and New Testament, they talk about the same things, but they have like a different perspective on it that is distinctly like anti-Christian, oh, anti-Jewish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they believe that Pharaoh, the, the Sabians, um, are star worshipers. Um, okay. And they believe that they're, they're, uh, there's an upper world of light and a lower world of darkness. Mm -hmm. And they believe that our spirit is good and our flesh is evil. Um, it's like a meeting of the two here on earth, which is like in the middle. Uh -huh. And they believe that um, Pharaoh was a great Sabian leader, the mm. Pharaoh that was held the uh, Jews in captivity. The people, yeah. Yeah. And they have, they, they write a lot about um, their issues with the Jews because they believe Moses was a practicer of magic who worshiped the devil, which would be Yahweh, and okay. that um, that he used evil magic to drown Pharaoh's army, because Pharaoh's army, which is an uh, army of good Sabians, was chasing the Jews, and right. all of a sudden, you know, you know what happened, and then they got yeah. drowned, um, and so it goes on from there. Uh, they practice baptism, but it's, it's very different than our baptism. Um, because they believe that the flesh is um, evil, they have baptism every single week, 
And their baptism is about, it's like a ritual baptism to wash away the evil of the world from off mm -hmm. of you. And um, they believe that the last great prophet for them and the last prophet and the, the, like the greatest prophet is John the Baptist. Okay. Uh -huh. um, uh, going back to them. Um, and I guess the last things I'll say about it is just they're, they're very much opposed to Christians. Uh, they, they teach that, uh, that Mary was a Sabian who went wayward and she used evil magic to get pregnant. Wow. And then eventually Jesus was born and Jesus went around doing all these terrible, terrible things. And they say that the Holy Spirit is actually like the leader of the dark world and all of these things that they, that they say yeah. and why, and there, there's a reason. And this uh, is all the Sabians, right? These are all the Sabians. I want to make that yeah. clear. Right. Everything that I just said is not, uh, it's not speaking about the Muslims, speaking about the Sabians, but now we get to the, to the point of why I think that that's actually pertinent. Now, I could right. be mistaken, but I want to do a quick search on something real quick. Uh, okay. While you're searching, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, because even, you know, the Bible does speak about the Sabians. I don't know if it's the same, but they're mentioned in Job, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Joel. Oh, they're back, they're back from from ancient times, and like I said, we yeah. don't hardly talk about them nowadays. Right. They used to be by the millions over in that area, by the many millions, yeah. and they 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 were major enemies that fought against uh, Christians and Jews going way back. And the only reason why they're they're no longer talked about or heard about is because um, many of them that converted to Islam. Um, whether forcefully or not, and the Muslims largely wipe them out. Right. And that's the reason why there's very few of them left today. Mm -hmm. um, so what is this we're looking at? This is in the Quran, uh, 262. Indeed, the believers, Jews, Christians, and Sabians, whoever truly believes in Allah in the last day and does good will have their reward with their Lord. There will be no fear for them, nor will they grieve. And there is a major issue here because the Sabians believe things that are polar opposite to what Christians and Jews believe. However, yeah. they're, they're all considered people of the book. They have totally separate scriptures mm -hmm. and they believe like opposite things. But uh, the Quran teaches that they're people of the book in the same way that we are. Oh, okay. So they will go to heaven the same way that we are. And if you actually look at the um Ginza Rabah, which is the um the holy book of the um the Sabians it mm -hmm. still exists today and it can be read um it, it, you can find it easy it looks incredibly similar to the Quran it's written okay. in the same way same sort of Arabic uses the same words everything mm -hmm. and uh when I read have gone through the Quran um the Quran looks to me is like because in the hadith it says that muhammad before uh, revelation and all that he was a sabian and so the quran is like it has a lot of things some of the other 
the more original, but the Quran has a lot of retellings of Bible stories mm-hmm. about particular things that happen in the Old and New Testament. Right. But it's like told from a Sabian perspective. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um and, and in the time it even says so in the hadith that there were uh competitors to Muhammad that also claimed that they had revelation at the time. And so uh it appears to me that a lot of it is just a it's a melding of multiple of these mainly these three religions into one okay um a combination into one is is what it looks like to me i mean there's words that are like it's word for word whole passages that are word for word right from the sabian scriptures and everything and it's all presented from a um from um from the perspective like in uh in islam uh cleanliness is a huge deal okay you have to um do ritual uh, cleansing of yourself before you pray, before you do several different things. Right. If you are not considered clean, then Allah will not accept your prayers. You might as well not even pray them um, if you haven't done these things. And a lot of these practices are very same as, as the Sabians believe. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's interesting. I, yeah, I guess that would be all I have to say on that, unless you had any further questions. So there's a lot of Sabian influence even still today within Islam in the Quran. Oh, there there definitely is. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, while you're in the Quran, now when I've looked at uh, the Quran myself and sort of how it's been said that I've researched online from pro-Islamic sources, that the Quran is sort of somewhat disjointed as far as the different surahs now from what i remember if you read the surahs chronologically it either goes from the longest to the shortest or or shortest i forget what way but then you have surahs that are written in medina surahs that are written in mecca and then from what i remember that when they teach that gabriel gave parts of the surah to muhammad from what I remember, it was over a period of like 13 or 23 years, something like that, and that he would identify, okay, this passage goes to this particular surah, this one goes to this particular surah, you know, sort of form, sort of like that. Uh, again, I, I've pulled this stuff a while back from like pro-Islamic sources, but is that accurate? How was the Quran formed, and and uh, what is the Quran? Uh and not only that, because I also want to ask with the Quran, so maybe we'll do the Quran question next, but you mentioned Quran, you mentioned Hadith, and then there's a third one, the Sunnah. Mm-hmm. Could you explain the differences between those three and then get into the aspect of the Quran's formation? Yeah. Okay, sure. Um uh well i guess the easiest way to explain it would actually be to look at a passage in the bible um so that we can have a frame of reference um all right if you're if you wish to pull it up on well let's see i'll try and pull it up no we can just read it we can just if you want to read it that'd be great i'll be first first samuel 16 7 
Yeah, that was a pretty quick sword drill for me. First <laughs> Samuel 16, 7. <laughs> yeah. But the Lord said unto Samuel, right? First Samuel mm-hmm. 16, 7. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Okay. So. So that has to do with the Quran. So, no, I don't know. It's the, <laughs> not the Quran. I'm giving a framework to, to help understand. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's what caught, pause, caused me to pause for. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that has absolutely nothing to do with the Quran. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so Muslims believe that the Quran is the eternal uncreated word of or speech of Allah this eternal uncreated speech of Allah and they believe that um it's in Jannah which is uh like their equivalent of heaven inscribed on the tablet um and there's a difference between what we believe about the Bible and what they believe about the Quran so they so we believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God yeah. So everything in there is God breathed. Um, you know, everybody was had, you know, through the Holy Spirit, you know, when the apostles, when they wrote down and such. Right. But that does not mean that every word comes directly from God in the sense that I, and I know this can be confusing. I'm not okay. saying uh-huh. last. I lost you for a minute. You froze. Oh, okay. Okay, there we go. Say, okay, you were saying uh, not everything is actually from God, and you were going to explain. Oh, yeah. So, so we believe in the Bible. You know, the Bible reports that um, so and so said this, like it'll report what Pharaoh said, Mm -hmm. or what Mary said, or or so on. Right. But that is just it's the Bible is reporting to us what somebody said. Right. Yes. But and then of course all of course it also has words that are directly what God said. Right. Directly. Well, what the Muslims believe about the Quran is not the same. They believe that every single word in the Quran comes directly from Allah. It is mm-hmm. his speech. So everything that's said in there is from from his mouth. Yeah. So to speak. So uh so that so that's the difference. Okay. So so how that relates to First Samuel six, um, sixteen seven. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine how difficult it might be to understand what that verse is saying if you only had the last half, where it says what God says, but all the top part where there's the context, yeah, and all the the and the verses in front of it and behind it, they give right. the context of the story, what was happening at the time, all of that stuff. None of that is in the Quran. The Quran just tells you Allah says this. So this is why this is where it could get extremely and in fact impossible to understand the Quran if you didn't have what are called the hadith. Okay. So whereas we have the Bible, which has, you know, revelations from God, what God told us directly, the Ten Commandments, the things God tells us what we need to know, but then it also has the background information has a story going on, has a genealogy. Yeah. This information is what is in the hadith. The hadith are accounts that are passed down person to person until they were eventually 
uh, written down and compiled um, of people giving background information on what Muhammad said or what his mm -hmm. companion said or so on and so forth. And the, the hadith are not scripture. They're not scripture. Only the Quran is what a Muslim believes is scripture. Okay. But the hadith are next to scripture. So they're not scripture for them, but they're next to it because the hadith give you all the context, all the background information, all mm -hmm. the things that Muhammad said about a particular um, verse that might have been, you know, he says was revealed in the Quran. And so you need the hadith in order to understand what the Quran says. So the Quran pretty much is like verses without context and the hadith would provide the context through oral tradition that was passed down until it was compiled. Would that be yeah. similar to like in Judaism, you have uh, the oral law and then that was compiled into the Talmud made up of the Mishnah and the Gemara? Um, not exactly. Okay. The equivalent of that would be the Sharia. Okay. Um, so, so yes, you, in that you would have from the Jewish side, you would have some like just context and background information given, mm -hmm. but then it also, it will give you the commentaries. Right. It will give you their opinions on it. From, from the rabbis and the Gemara. Yes. Yeah. So it's going to give you all that. Well, you're not getting the commentaries on it. You're not getting the opinions mm. and all that. So you're and, just getting and, the Mishnah, just yeah. the background, if you will, explanation. What the? Okay. Yeah. And the the, th the third thing is the um the tafsir. Uh, the tafsir is that last part. The tafsir is which directly translates to in, in, um um explanation. Uh, you have to have the tough spheres, that, that third part. And that is what the highest scholars of Islam, um, and the, it's, it's the consensus, mm -hmm. um, will give you about what a particular verse in the Quran or what a particular thing in the Hadith is saying. So it'll give you their opinion mm -hmm. from the most respected. So that, that's the third part. So the Quran, they believe, is the direct revelation from Allah. Then you have the um, hadith, mm -hmm. which is background information, historical information, what so-and-so said when they were there, when it was revealed. Right. Then you have the hadith, which is these are the big dogs in Islam. These are the important figures. And this is what they say about it. This is how you should understand it. This yeah. is how you should think about it. Because in Islam, you do not have the right as... Uh, some any old uh, Muslim to just write a commentary on the Quran. Okay, uh, you cannot do that. Uh -huh. uh, that is a punishable offense. You have to be someone who has gone through schooling and is recognized by the Muslim community as being uh, an authority. Being an uh, being an yeah. authority. You have to be yeah. officially recognized. Uh, and then. Unless you're specially recognized a certain way, I mean, even if you did, they, they wouldn't look at what you'd say. They would, they would just throw it right in the trash. Oh, yeah. So like, it, it has to be done in order, mm -hmm. and, and that's uh, and that's the deal on that. Uh, and then yeah. the Sunnah, mm -hmm. the Sunnah is not a book. The Sunnah is the um, it's the the acts of Muhammad or the example 
Uh, they call Muhammad the pattern of conduct for all mankind. Okay. So they believe that um, Muhammad was, yes, they believe Allah, yes, Allah used him to, uh, as an avenue for us to get the Quran, but Muhammad also plays a special role as the man who lived like the most perfect life. Okay. So, so if Muhammad prayed this way, you pray this way. If Muhammad, like for instance, uh, Muhammad uh, kept no mustache and Muhammad would not shave, he would pluck the hairs. And so every Muslim must pluck their mustache hair. That's why you see any serious Muslim, they'll never have a mustache because that, that would be not following um, the pattern of conduct. Muhammad. That, that makes sense. And my time's deployed overseas in the Middle East and a few different countries and that makes sense when I'm out in the local area and seeing Muslims and Arabs and, and I don't remember very many of them. Now, of course you'll have your mainstream Muslims that don't really follow the religion and they're just by name, you know, like Christian here in America. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it makes sense. Like when they're wearing their garb and whatnot that I don't remember any of them having mustaches. No, uh, same thing with armpit hair and uh -huh. armpit hair is forbidden. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to pluck it um now in modern days they, <laughs> in more modern days they had a big serious debate they got all the um they got a bunch of modern um highly respected <laughs> muslim clerics together to make a decision on a very controversial topic is waxing allowed and it was determined yes waxing is allowed but before then it was one by one <laughs> we're taking but the tweezers <laughs> They didn't have electric razors back then, man. I mean, couldn't they just? How? <laughs> but you, um, so that doesn't mean that they necessarily think that every single thing that Muhammad did is what you have to do. Like, right. for instance, uh, Muhammad rode around on a camel. Well, they don't think that, well, Muhammad rode around on yeah. a camel. So, uh, cars no, they're are driving, out. they're driving Mercedes yeah. and, and Beamers and all this other stuff. Yeah. So it's not that it's not that you have to follow Muhammad in everything he did, but it, it, as far as a, any matter that is concerning what they would uh, consider morality or religion yeah. or uh, how you are to behave yourself in your marriage or any serious matter like that, right. have, or or ex especially personal hygiene, you have to do it exactly how Muhammad did it. Um, another thing is. Um, they cannot, uh, any serious Muslim, they cannot have a um, pants that are too long. They have to end like just above the ankle. Uh, Muhammad did not wear pants that were um, below there. And so that's another thing when it comes to dress, like you have to do that. Um, I, I did see a lot of like, they weren't sweatpants, but they were thin fabric pants. And yeah, they would end by their ankle. They wouldn't rest on the top of their foot. No, they'd, they'd wear they'd... their sandals and whatnot, but Mm -hmm. They believe that that is haram, which is like their equivalent of sinful, forbidden. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that that's a serious offense. Um, uh, I guess the last thing I'll say on it, not I'm just um, to show how the extent of this. Um, you have to end as a as a devout Muslim. You have to enter the bathroom with your left foot, never the right foot, because Muhammad made a point to always enter the restroom with his left foot and never his right foot. If you enter the bathroom with your right foot. That is a serious sin, um, a serious sin. That, that is something you must repent for um, immediately. Um, 
And there, there was a huge debate that went on for a very, very long time, literally thousands and thousands of words written about it back and forth. To this day, it is an issue that um, Muslim sheikhs, which are um, uh, men who in Islam who are uh, have legal, pretty much standing to speak on legal issues. Okay, yeah. Um, there are people who say, are we allowed to use toilet paper? Because, you know, they... The hadith go into detail about whom Muhammad used three stones exactly each time. And so like even that, that is a very big deal because it's a matter of cleanliness. Um, so uh, those, those, but that, that, that would be the, uh, the sunnah uh, is just uh, following the, the deen, which is what they call it, the deen of the prophet um, as the pattern of conduct. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, every man, you must strive in every serious way to live every single aspect of your life exactly as Muhammad did. And if you're a woman, you have to do the same as you can as a woman, obviously there are differences there. They can't live exactly like he did, but in areas where it can be the same, you have to do everything how Muhammad did. And so all that required obedience that Islam teaches, is that part of uh, how they can eventually work their way to their heaven in their uh, Yes, uh, yes. So. Uh, uh, what as we would call it uh sin um that is i would say it's uh, to describe it as transactional in islam so anytime you commit a bad deed you so imagine a scale um you want the you want the side the side of the scale with the good deeds to outweigh the side with the bad deeds mm -hmm. and so following the example of muhammad those are good deeds and so you want to do that because that way, whenever you commit a sin, you're, you're doing these things as Muhammad did so that your good deeds will outweigh the bad deeds. Because if your good deeds do not outweigh the bad deeds, then you will not, you know, you have no guarantee of going to, um, to Jannah at all. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, to, but to be honest with you, in, in Islam, there is no guarantee uh, whatsoever of going to, uh, to paradise. You have no guarantee. No, no guarantees whatsoever. It doesn't matter how um, faithful you are. There are no guarantees. Uh, even, um, I forget which caliph it was, which is like the leader of all of Islam. Uh -huh. So one of the first caliphs, um, I'm going to be ever so slightly misquoting him, ever so slightly. Uh -huh. He said something like um, that he was so afraid of, of his Lord, Allah, that he fears that even if he had one foot in paradise, that at the very last moment, Allah might make him sin and outweigh and snatch him away into hell. Yeah. So, um, so even, even the leader of the entire Muslim world, and he was, he was considered one of the greatest um, Muslim leaders of all time. He, they call him the rightly guided caliph. Like he was a he was a big deal in Islam. Yeah. I wish I could remember which one specifically, but it was one of the, the, right, the first five. Um, but yes, there's no guarantee at all. Uh, what, isn't yeah. it accurate that even at the end of Muhammad's life, I read that he wasn't even sure of his entrance into heaven, that it was if Allah wills based upon the sovereignty of Allah? Uh, yes, uh, but that's that's kind of conflicting. Uh, there are okay. some passages that say that he is definitely going to paradise. Yeah. And there are some that say that he has no guarantee and he's unsure. 
So I really can't give a definite answer on that one. Oh, I mean, that's there, good. Are, yeah. there are many that say he's definitely going. And there yeah. are many that say that he says, I don't know. Right. So, yeah. But so even, as, yeah. Even no, Muhammad, even him. Yeah. And it's just another unfortunate because it's just another works-based religion trying to strive the entirety of this physical temporal life to live a life that would please their God when the freedom's found in what Christ did on the cross, you know, for our sins and the free gift of salvation that he offers. Uh, you spent a lot of time talking about uh, three of their major, if you will, holy books. But could you go back and explain, like, how is the Quran formed? Uh, you mentioned a little bit about uh, Gabriel or Jabriel, uh, as they call him. But, like, is this organized chronologically based on location, longest to shortest? Is it scattered, sort of put together? How is it put together, the Quran? Uh, the Quran the Quran really is, is totally scattered. Um, it is very, very vaguely organized in the chapters or what they call the surah by a particular topic, but that's only kind of, sort of. And as far as chronologically, there's no chronological order whatsoever. You will read one verse in the Quran given from near the very, very beginning of when Muhammad started, and then you'll read the next verse, and it will be right from near the very end. Um, in the same no, surah in the, yeah, same, in the same surah and, it's, and i mean literally one then the next right like this is near the end this is near the beginning and then now we're here to one near the end again now we're here one in the middle now we're back at the beginning because it doesn't provide the context it provides the verses like you were saying yeah. hmm. and so and so that's another reason why if you don't read the um the um hadiths the hadith then you have no way of really understanding it because the hadith also will help you to understand the um the or, the chronological ordering because mm -hmm. otherwise you'll have no idea and also it, it's not really it's not by topic either uh you'll you'll read one verse that will be about one thing and the next verse will be yeah. about something completely different um every once in a while you'll have two or three verses that kind of string together one um consistent thought but most of the time it's one or two verses, and then we're talking about something different from another time. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Quran was, the, it, it was, you know, in the Bible, um, in the Bible, we didn't have verses and chapters like all together as we have them now, one Bible until the Geneva Bible in, uh, in 1560, but, uh, you know, which is, is a good and a bad thing that we have that now because yeah. yeah it makes things a whole lot easier to find but on the other hand people sure love to do that to um yeah what's that term for when you take a verse uh totally out of context and exactly. you just isolate it yeah eisegesis yeah <laughs> uh, so, exactly but but the the quran um the quran was actually given verse by verse yeah it's specifically verse by verse it wasn't given chapter by chapter but it was given verse by verse specifically set apart this is one verse this is one verse and when muhammad revealed them um he when he said you know oh uh, uh jabril told me this and he told the people you'd have one group of people who would um memorize a certain part of the quran 
Then you have another sort of a group of people who had memorized another part of the Quran. And that's how they did it through memorization. Memorization. Okay. Um, a lot of, there was a lot of it that, that wasn't even necessarily written down at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and eventually, though, uh, there was the, um, the uh, Hadith speak about the Battle of Yamama. And that was a big deal because a whole lot of Muslims died in that bottle. And a lot of them were uh, Quran memorizers. And they came to the conclusion. Um, Lost Umar, books of the Bible. That, like we, yeah, they said there's certain verses we can't find them anymore. And then Umar um, convinced uh, Abu Bakr, who was um, who was to be caliph, um, that um, uh, you know th- this is a problem. This is a huge problem. So yeah. they decided to go around and get, go to each person. Like, okay, what do you have memorized? What do you have memorized? They compiled it all, made sure it was all written down in one place, put it all together, and then they had the Quran all written down together. But but for the longest time, it was all just, you know, you go to this group of people and they have this part of the Quran memorized and this other people, they have this other part memorized. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, talking to some Muslims and some that just say they understand the Muslim faith, I would bring up the principle of abrogation, especially when people talk about that Islam in the Quran teaches uh, teaches peace. And while I will agree, there are verses in the Quran that do speak of peace, you know, and granting peace to people. But when you get, I think it's Surah 102 or somewhere around there, where it talks about the principle of abrogation, it seems like the Islamic understanding of abrogation overrides those peaceful verses for violent verses, verses like the verse of the sword. And I think it's Surah 9 5. Uh, could you explain what is the principle of abrogation? And does that really trump some of those uh, aspects? Like, what is it? Is that a thing? Or am I just making this stuff up? Or am I misunderstanding? Uh, well, uh, we're going to go to the Quran. Uh, we're okay. going to see about that. Uh, I've got it uh, right here. We are looking at uh, the Quran, um, chapter two, 2. Yeah, okay. Verse 106. If we ever abrogate a verse or cause it to be forgotten, we replace it with a better or similar one. Do you not know that Allah is most capable of everything? Um, and if you read the context on this, um uh if if you read the context on that uh abrogate does mean the replacement so in other words early on in um Mu- after muhammad started uh-huh. muhammad um mostly taught peaceful things mm-hmm. um and that's when he revealed the verses about the you know the people of the book and Jews right. and Sabians, you know, and Muslims were all going to heaven, yada yada yada. Um, and there's other verses that are quite peaceful too. Um, uh, I can't remember where it's at at the moment, um, but the Quran says that um, that it was said of the Jews that if you kill one innocent person, as though you've killed the whole of mankind. Um, and so there are verses in the Quran that are very, very peaceful. However, 
Those were all early. All of them, not some of them, all of them. And every single one of those verses are abrogated because in the last half of Muhammad's um, mystery, uh, ministry, if you want to call it that, um, there were no peaceful verses given uh, whatsoever. Uh, the verses were, you know, subjugate all the groups before that we talked about peacefully, subjugate them, they must be humiliated, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so, so yes, every, every single one of those verses is abrogated. And so none of them apply today. Um, and, but I'll show, um, I'm going to show. So, so an Orthodox Muslim most often would understand the principle of abrogation within their faith. Whereas your mainstream Muslim would probably be ignorant because they're not really practicing the principles of abrogation. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yes. You should never assume that just because uh, a particular Muslim might tell you something untrue on this, that, that they are being willingly deceitful to you. A lot of they're, they're, they very well may be telling you what they believe to be the truth yeah. uh, in the West. Um, in the West, uh, there is a different, more liberal version of Islam right. mm -hmm. that is given. Uh, just like, you know, in Christianity, we have areas that have more liberal and they right. change things. Um, but that is not um, trying to look up one more. Let's see here. Because from what I remember, too, when you study the life of Muhammad, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, early in the life of Muhammad, when uh, when I believe he had formed Islam, that he tried to proselytize, he tried to witness, and he was ridiculed and more or less chased out. I want to say, I think it was Mecca, it was either Mecca or Medina, and then he ended up finding Khadijah and became a very powerful person at that point. And then he started to go ahead and uh, promote the Islamic faith by force. And therefore, early in his ministry, like you said, there were peaceful verses because he was trying to witness, trying to proselytize, trying to evangelize, if you will. But when he got chased out and, and uh, you know, threatened, then he ended up changing those through principles of abrogation to bring people under subjection. Is that fair as far as what we know from the history? Yes, uh, he, he started out Mecca, just like like you said. It was, it was mostly very peaceful. He said a few things here and there that the polytheists in the area took some offense to, but he was not calling anybody to like subjugate anyone or do anything right. violent. Uh, he just said a few little mocking things here and there, but nothing, you know, too, too serious. Uh, mm -hmm. But eventually he, he started um, saying th some things that were mocking and the polytheists kicked him out and then they fled to Medina Mm -hmm. with the small amount of followers that he had because he didn't have a lot right. at that time uh, because not not many people listened to him uh when the verses were peaceful mm -hmm. but um after that point though that it's when he was in medina uh, which the jews had a lot of um influence in medina and they kind of took him in um and loaned him some money and some other things and after then, he was like, well, I have money now, and I have this starting base of followers, and he was, 
he was like, we're going to go after those polytheists that kicked us out and yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I will say that a lot of Muslims will say that that, well, that was done in retaliation. Okay. Because, um, because, you know, they kicked us out. Mm-hmm. And so it's justified. However, that's not really what the, um, some of it was in retaliation, but there's a whole lot of verses in the Quran and a whole lot of um, context given in the Hadith that, um, that are not retaliatory. It's, okay, just, yeah. it's just find them and subjugate them and strike them. And, and that's, and that's what it says. Right. So yeah. uh, one, one more thing I'll show on that to give some context before. Uh, um, let's see here. Okay, you can see here, this is uh, the Quran, chapter 85, verse 65. O prophet, motivate the believers to fight. If there are 20 steadfast among you, they will overcome 200. Mm. And if there are 100 among uh, of you, they will overcome 1,000 of the disbelievers, for they are a people who do not comprehend. So the, they were greatly outnumbered. There was this big battle coming up, and he had his group of Muslims that were ready to fight. But they knew they were vastly outnumbered. And so if you do the math on this, that's that's one man will, will defeat 10. One to 10. Yeah. He said, well, it's all good. You don't got to worry about it because it doesn't matter. One of you can beat 10 of them. So right. they went to battle. We're going to look at the next verse, which was revealed the next day. 66. Now Allah has lightened your burden, for he knows that there is weakness in you. So if there are a hundred steadfast among you, they will overcome 200. And if there are 1,000, they will overcome 2,000 by Allah's will. And Allah is with the steadfast. So now you got a difference of one to 10 to one to two. Yeah. And uh, so I think that there are a lot of uh, problems with the principle of abrogation because there are I- issues like that where I don't see. Okay, so if it's um, I, if God's word is the greatest of word, then how can it be changed the next day? Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, that would be my contention in that. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, they knew they were outnumbered, so surely, um, so surely these were faithful men. Yeah. They were not faithful men in the first place. Yeah, no, we're going into battle here. There's like, yeah, you know, there's like five times as many guys on the other side, and we know it, but we're still going to war. I, I, there's not a faithful soldier that you're not going to be an unfaithful soldier and decide to go in against those odds. Right. <laughs> That's not going to happen, especially when it's just hand to hand. We're not talking, mil, uh, you know, we don't have explosives to lob over the way. We don't have missiles to send over. We're, no, we're, this is sword yeah. against sword. Um, you know, I don't see how uh, how a perfect verse can be replaced with a better verse in one day. And no, you make a good point there, yeah. And 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 surely, if if Allah knows the heart of man, then how how did Allah not know their heart? Because it says, surely Allah has in the next day. It says, surely Allah has seen the weakness in your heart. Right. Well, did Allah not know the weakness in their heart the previous day? Oh, that's it's a very very good point right there. <laughs> so. So there, that's just, uh, and I guess, um, I guess for the sake of time, I won't show it, but, um, one more issue is that 
One more issue is that it says Allah can also abrogate a verse by causing you to forget it. But in the Quran, and if anybody wants, they can look this up in chapter six, verse 68. It says that Satan causes you to forget. Huh. So which is it? Yes. So uh, there's an issue there as well. Um, and those are just two examples. I think, I think that the, the, the principle of abrogation is, um, is pretty problematic. Uh, uh, I, again, I, the most important point I, I see in that, um, let's say maybe in somehow some sort of way, I don't know, that God truly did give uh, mankind a certain thing that he wants us to follow, but it only replied to that time let's just say theoretically that this is possible. I don't know, but you know, maybe it only applies for that time. Okay. Maybe we could fairly say 200 years later, things have changed and God says, okay, well that was for that time, but now it's for this time. Right. But for for the next day, but probably a few months later. No. Yeah, no, definitely. So that, that would be my contention with, uh, abrogation. Oh, definitely huge. Uh, so you talked a little bit about this and and if you just want to really summarize and recap what you already said that's perfectly fine uh would would you agree or disagree that islam teaches a religion of peace as we know it today islam um i'm looking for the word uh jihad uh, jihad does not necessarily mean a violent act physically. Uh, all co- Muslims are commanded to wage jihad. Jihad uh, translates to struggle. Um, According to the Quran or the Hadith? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it translates to struggle in, um, in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And that, that, is, that is the understanding of it. Uh, it means the, the struggle against the disbelievers or the unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what jihad is. And so there are different forms of jihad. One of the forms of jihad is to go in and just uh, do dawa. Uh, dawa is what they call uh, like proselytizing or, okay. or what we would say sharing the gospel or, you know, uh, they call it dawa, which is a calling of someone to Islam peacefully, just trying to give them arguments and convince them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is... Uh, that is one way of doing it, and that is the main strategy in the West. Is that what like people like uh, who's a Abir Shabir Ali is doing? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, that the, yes that would be Dawa. Okay. Um, the the issue with Dawa is um, in Dawa there's the um, Muslim um, principle of Thakia, which is um, lying for the sake of Allah. Okay. Um, because Muslims believe that it is a it, it is not a sin to lie to unbelievers in in these two instances. Uh, for first of all, for the sake of your own life. So, for instance, if um, if somebody uh, if somebody comes up to a Christian and says, um, you know, uh, deny God, deny Jesus, curse God's name, or die. Well, the only acceptable answer there for a Christian would be like, okay, looks like it's my time to go. <laughs> well, that is not what Islam teaches. Islam yeah. teaches taqiyya, which means um, you can um, you can lie. Say, so, I'm not a Muslim. What are you talking about? No. Uh, you know, Allah, I don't believe in Allah. And, you know, and they can curse his name and everything. 
the, the, the Quran, the Hadith teach this. It says, for the sake of your safety, you can well, do this. Yeah. And it also teaches that because of certain confusions over um, scripture, that the Muslims would surely go to war against each other and strive against each other. Uh -huh. So you can, if you are um, come across somebody from another sect of Islam who might want to kill you for a particular belief, then you can say, um, you know, oh no, I'm with you. I'm not part of this sect. I'm with your uh, sect. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's for the protection, but it's also for the sake of dawah which is i can lie to you and tell you anything that i need to say in order to convince you to become a muslim oh, and it okay. is not sin uh, allah considers it a good thing because yes you're you're lying to them but once they become a muslim then they're just going to learn the truth anyways and you know then it's all good because then they literally can't leave islam because if they do uh, then they're an apostate and they have to die so they're not going to want to leave islam right so so in the West, they engage in one form of jihad, which is, uh, which is dawah, and they, have, they present it in a peaceful way where they, they mistranslate, like I, every right. single English translation of the Quran is mistranslated mm -hmm. greatly, um, and they present it in a more peaceful way. This, this does not mean, however, that you should um, assume the worst of somebody that you know is a Muslim and think that they're right. lying to you, as I said mm -hmm. before, because this has gone on for so long that there are a lot of Muslims who actually have taken to like, oh, well, this is actually what um, Islam teaches. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we shouldn't assume the worst of, of, of a Muslim in the West. However, that if you have a Muslim in um, Saudi Arabia or Qatar or yeah. any of those areas over there where they're practicing orthodox islam mm -hmm. they know right there's no confusion and they have been um they have been waging war over there conquering for for generations i mean it, if you look back um turkey that's historically that 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 is a country that um, peacefully they all became Christians back in the day. Is Turkey a Christian country now? <laughs> Absolutely not. They were they were like they were ruthlessly conquered. Iran, that was a Christian country. They were devout Christians. Iraq, devout Christians. So many of those countries back in the day were Christian countries. A lot of the um, a lot of the people that like wrote a lot of the old books that we have, um, you know, when they were way back in the early days of, of Christianity, yeah. you know, they, the, the certain of those churches written to in revelation, they're in those countries. Yeah. Um, but they, they have been conquered um, because like I said, in the beginning, um, Islam is not just a religion. It is a system of government and it yeah. is their, it is their job to conquer that way. Um, Muhammad, before he died, gave um, a mission to Muslims that they have to conquer um, India. Uh, okay. And so the conquering of India has been a very big deal in Islam. Um, and India has been attacked by um, Muslim armies more than any other throughout history, and they've resisted. Um, so, oh. so, but, the, but, they, they don't have the same understanding on it that we do. Um, 
they believe that they're doing us a mercy. Uh, there's a lot of teachings on that because they believe that uh, killing is not being killed is not as bad as as um, more disbelief or more things that are against Allah. Uh, if they kill you, then you and I'm going to show a couple verses here and then be ready to move on because I don't want to just ramble off and not prove any of this. No, you're fine. Um, but they believe they a lot of times will talk that they're doing you a, a, a favor in the sense of if they can humiliate you into accepting Islam, even if it be against your will, well, then you become a Muslim. At least then you have a chance of going to heaven, of going to Jannah. Uh, if they kill you and you don't accept it, well, then you don't have an opportunity to break Allah's law even more and earn even more of his wrath. Mm -hmm. um, so they look at it as a service as a good thing that they're doing for all of mankind. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to look at a few real quick here. Um, okay. Um, let those, um, this is Quran chapter four, verse 74. Let those who would sacrifice this life for the, her for the hereafter fight in the cause of Allah and whoever fights in the cause and Whoever fights in Allah's cause, whether they achieve martyrdom or victory, we will honor them with a great reward. So another important point in Islam is that um, even though I said earlier that there is no guarantee of going to Jannah in, or paradise in Islam, mm -hmm. there are conflicting things. So I understand that what I'm saying is contradictory, but both things are said. So, I mean, it is what it is. The only way that you are given any guarantee um, at all of going to paradise is if you die while fighting for the cause of Allah. That's the only guarantee. So you can live a whole life of super pious deeds and devotion and doing all these great things, but there's no real guarantee. The only, the best way that you have any guarantee at all is if you die fighting for Allah. Because um, uh, if you look in the commentaries, we will honor them with a great reward. It is talking about paradise. It's not talking about a reward on earth. Okay. It's talking about going to paradise. Um, and so that is the reason why, uh, you know, if someone uh, might blow themselves up, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's why they would do that. Because not only are they fighting in that moment, you know, doing whatever it is that they do. But if they die in that moment, that's their ticket. Yeah. And um, it's just like, for instance, um, those two particular men who, um, um, the, the, there's two particular men on the, um, in 9-11, um, before they hijacked the plane. Uh, do you know what they did the previous day? No, they went to a strip club. Oh, okay. Because, because at that point, they figured it doesn't matter. Because, yes, I'm doing this very bad, evil thing, but tomorrow I've got a guaranteed ticket. Yeah. Um, so that would be one. And then, see, there's one more I would share here. Because I think it's also in the Hadith that I remember that the only reference to the 72 virgins is held that if they uh, die in, in jihad, that they can... At least one of the hadiths teaches the reception of seventy-two virgins. Is that accurate? Uh, seventy-two is the minimum. 
Oh. Um, actually, can go up and 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 up from there. Seventy-two wow. is the minimal. Um, and yes, the more that you do, um, the more good deeds you do. And it doesn't just have to be violent deeds, just good deeds in general. If you are going to paradise, the more good deeds you do, your rewards will be more virgins. Um, a certain number of them are the huri, which are specifically made for paradise. And it says that they have um, skin that is like glass, it says skin so white that it is clear that you can see the marrow of their bones. Yeah. Um, and these are specifically made women. And then uh, the rest of them are women from hell. Um, and I don't have that one um, at the moment um, to show, but the, if you, uh, the Hadith say that if you are a Christian or a Muslim woman and you go to hell, it might not be so bad because if you're good looking, Allah might snatch you up out of hell, restore your virginity and give you to one of the men in, um, in Jannah, in paradise, that you can uh, be there to be one of his, his virgins. So it's very much a male-centric religion. Uh, yes. Uh, if you go to um, uh, paradise and the Islamic belief, if you are a woman, you are jailed to a tent for all of eternity um, to be ready there for when your husband um, comes into you, into the tent to be with you. Um, but when he's not with you, he has all these other women. And keep in mind, in Islam, um, your average Muslim, you can have four wives, up to four. So, you know, he's going between, in paradise, he's going between you, his other earthly wives, and then all of these, and then he's got his huri, and then he's got all these other virgins. So, you know, and then there are um, details about that that I'm not going to get into because yeah. they're actually a little bit dirty. Um, but right. let's just say... You have no guarantee that your your husband's coming back for quite some time, literally hundreds and hundreds of years in between visits. And in the meantime, you're just there in your tent waiting for when he comes back. Wow, it's a shame. Um, but uh, last thing I'll show on that, uh, yeah. on that point, I suppose, would be um, there's a particular hadith about it that I think is uh, relevant. So here we have um, Sahih al-Bukhari. Yep. Um, 4557. Oh, there's one very, very important thing that I have not set up to this point. And this okay. is a very, very, very important thing that I should have said at the beginning. Um, what I am saying right now does not pertain to all Muslims. Um, I am showing sources and hadith and such that are from the Sunni um, perspective. So, um, the large majority of the Muslims in the world are Sunni. Then you have the Shia. And then from there, there are other sects, but they're actually quite tiny. The only two of any real size and note are the Sunni and the Shia. Yeah. Um, and so there are different uh, hadith that are accepted by the Sunni than that are accepted by the Shia. Mm. And so as a result of that, like I said, the hadith give the context. And so when you have a different context, it leads to very different understandings of verses in the Quran. And so when I'm speaking uh, currently uh, throughout this entire thing, I'm speaking from the Sunni perspective. Okay. Some of this might also be in line with what uh, uh, Shia believes, but not necessarily. Yeah. Um, and some of these, um, like, for instance, um, for instance, uh, some of the people that I'm um, listing here 
uh-huh. and who who are the who this is said by they're not respected by the Shia at all mm-hmm. so they they would just totally discount this okay so I, so I just want to make that clear um if anybody watches this and you think that this might be relevant to the beliefs of a Muslim neighbor or co-worker you um, know or whatnot it might not be if they are if they are uh, Sunni then yes this right. is all from the Sunni this the Sunni scriptures Sunni context everything given okay but if it's anybody else not necessarily I, I do think that's an important thing to uh oh it is it's huge yeah um so uh, sharing my screen here um we have uh Sahih al-Bukhari, uh, 4557, which is uh, you, uh, which is talking about Muslims, are the best of peoples ever raised up for mankind. As you bring them with chains on their necks till they embrace Islam. Um, so it, uh, it clearly teaches that the best of the Muslims are the ones that are willing to go out and fight for Allah using violence and subjugation, bringing them by chains, forcing them to convert to Islam. Um, and they believe that this is a good, like I said before, they believe yeah. this is a good thing you're doing because if you become Muslim, well, then you can go to paradise. If you don't- Or have the chance to, yeah. Yeah, or have the chance to. Whereas if they don't do that, well, then what chance do you have? So they have a totally different perspective on violence and subjugation in this regard than we would as Christians. Oh, yeah. They just don't look at it the same way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Wow. So that would be the, um, Okay. I guess I'll leave that there. I don't think any more really needs to be said on that. <laughs> no, that was quite exhaustive. I appreciate that. It wasn't just a simplistic, no, it's not a real, but you, you explained and you, you showed uh, the different areas, different aspects different reasons and different denominations, if you will, sex. But uh, when we're just talking to like an agnostic or an atheist, there's this common belief that Allah, Yahweh, they're the same. Well, in my studies of the Quran, Allah is quite distinct from Yahweh, uh, the God of the Christian scriptures, our God. And so what would be the differences that you know and understand of between Allah and Yahweh? Well, um, I would first say we need to look at the names. We need to look okay. at the names. Why? Um, so if you go back to uh, uh, Arabic and uh, Hebrew, are both derived from Aramaic, ancient Aramaic. Okay. It's like the root language. Okay. Um, and um, you might uh, notice a common pattern if you really pay attention when you read your Bible. Um, Gabriel, Mikael, Israel, oh, yeah. Samuel. Right. Yeah. A lot of L's in there. It's, be, it's denoting, uh, it, it is like the Hebrew generic uh, word for God. Right. Um, and so it would be like, depending on like Israel struggles with God or whatever it might be. It's a, it's, it's saying a particular thing, or it's not only just a name, it's also a, a title or a description within the name. Right. Yeah. Um, so that would be what L is and like El Shaddai and all these other different names that we have. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Allah is a particular name. Al is in modern Arabic, they say Al is the and La is God. However, that is not what it was back then, especially yeah. in early Arabic and going back to Aramaic. That is absolutely not what that meant. Yeah. Um, so what did it mean? Al is God. La is the name of the God. La goes back to okay. Sabian roots. Oh, yeah. La is, it was the name of Sabian moon god. It is a particular name. Um, it doesn't, um, so, and the name does matter. And so yeah. we have two distinct names, two distinct names. Um, and I, so I, I would say the first thing is that the name, the names are different and the names do matter. Yeah. Um, there's not, it, there's, um, there isn't a particular, um, like, uh, verse in the Quran or a particular passage in the Hadith that expl explicitly outright say this. Um, it is more like one of these things that is inferred. Um, but, and I went, um, I've gone to look before for the fatwa on this. A fatwa is like, um, is like a dis particular description or a decision made that is said by the Muslim um, majority consensus of respected scholars on a particular issue. Okay. So if there's some weighty issue that Muslims need to make sure that they understand properly, then they need to um, go to the scholars to see what they have to say. And when the scholars, right. scholars come back for them, that's a fatwa. So that's why that's why I'm saying I wasn't able to find this particular fatwa in, in my studies in English, mm -hmm. um, at least not on a website. So I've had it translated. So I'm just, I'll, um, I'll read to you this particular fatwa, which yeah. um, Allah has no soul or spirit. Um, Allah in Islam is a physical being. Okay. He is not a spirit. Mm -hmm. And he, um, that is very different than Yahweh. That is very different than the great I am. So the, the father mm -hmm. is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. And then Jesus, you know, uh, before he um, uh, came and took on flesh, um, you know, a spirit. Mm -hmm. So we have one that is spirit. The other is not spirit right is only physical so that is one yeah. um that is one important distinction um yeah. and if anyone wants to takes ever take the time to look this up in um sahih al-bukhari okay 11:45 it says that um every night allah descends to the lowest heaven every night to hear your prayers to hear anything that you um, want to um, ask of him or just anything like that. Mm -hmm. So he physically comes to a location mm -hmm. to hear your prayers. Okay. So, so that does not denote omnipresence. Right. Is it, it is very different. Whereas, um, you know, um, Yahweh is everywhere. 
he is omnipresent. He's here there, everywhere at all times, mm-hmm. always present with us. So that, that is a very, that is a, I would say another pretty important distinction. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the, the of last point, I would say one of the absolutely most important differences. Um, but before then, I would say the other, another important difference is, um, um, as Christians, we believe God is what? God um, is what, um, one word. What, what's one word that the Bible says all the time? Not a characteristic, but it says something that he says he is. God is. Love. Holy love. <laughs> love. Okay. Yeah. God is love. Yeah. God, lo- uh, uh, does God love um, sinners? Which sinners does God love? God, God loves, for God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you know and does god does god love those who um who are out uh, outside of his will uh, like who are uh, going against his will does he god loved, love those who who um, loved, reject him yeah he loved me before i came to know him and it's because of his love that he reached down to save me you know and so yes god loves people before they even know him or when they're disobedient as a Christian, when we stray and go our separate, you know, the wrong way, it's through God's love that he disciplines us like we do as a parent with a child uh, to rehabilitate and get us back on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Allah, exact opposite. Nearly. Allah hates unbelievers. If you are not a Muslim, Allah has a particular distinct hatred for you. And you can, uh, if you, if you want one example of it, uh, you can look up, uh, somebody can look up Quran chapter 33, verse 64. I'm not going to um, read that one now for the sake of time, but um, uh, that one will lay out, uh, there's a particular um, place that he's preparing with his hate for you. Oh, really? You don't accept him. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it says over and over and over throughout the Quran and the Hadith, God hates you. If you are not a Muslim, mm-hmm. God hates you. Mm-hmm. That huge, huge, huge difference. Big difference. Pretty big difference. And the last difference and this one, I will be showing some verses because this one could be taken as, um, uh, quite controversial at first glance, if you don't back it up to prove it. Right. Uh, what what would you say um how would you say uh, Yahweh feels about our sin how he feels about our sin yes that i mean our sin is wickedness it's evil he it definitely displeases him he hates the sin you know things like that allah demands you sin demands allah well, you did mention that he he uh, rewards the lying, you know, earlier. Well, but... the difference would be that they don't consider that a sin. Oh, true. Yeah. But because because if you know those two stipulations there, no, I, I will show this. This is in Sahih Hadith. So some okay. might some might hear this at first and think, "What are you talking about? We all the right. time have to ask Allah for mercy." Um, it says all the time in the Quran that Allah is the um the the most merciful he's ever merciful and but no that is not what the quran uh, what the islamic sources say at all um islam teaches 
in a divine destiny, a divine destiny, 50,000 years, this is what Islam teaches, 50,000 years before God created the whole universe, he wrote down the destiny of every single living human being that will ever that has ever lived and ever will live mm-hmm. on a tablet this destiny is like a sort of unbelievably to the whole next level hyper calvinism yeah he has he has decreed every single thing that you will ever do and he has decreed that you will sin and that you have no choice but to sin so that he will be glorified and forgiving you and you coming to him very 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 big difference on the understanding of sin there and i'm I'm now definitely going to take the time to um well yeah because if you're saying that determinism fatalism and the fact that we are products of what allah has written down we would do then we're not culpable for what we've done in that he's making everybody do the evil acts just so that he can exhibit what he considers mercy to bring glory so in essence we're just puppets on a string doing what he does for yeah i mean totally different understanding of sin uh with the god of scripture now i will say if, if, if a Muslim, before I show these things to prove it, I'm going to show it from the Sahih Hadith. These are the highest level of Hadith. These are, I'm going to show it from, um, uh, I'm going to show, I'm going to uh, go to prove this from Sahih Muslim um, twice. Sahih Muslim is a big deal. And it is Sahih. It is authentic. authentic. I mean, it's Sahih in Islam means that um, it is uh, reliable, authentic, trustworthy. This is something that you can rely by next to the Quran. Now we're going, I'm going to show two passages um, from the the, um, Sahih Hadith to verify what I'm saying. This is uh, Sahih Muslim. Number uh, 2657b. Verily, Allah has fixed the very portion of adultery which a man will indulge in, in which he of necessity must commit. The adultery of the eye is the lustful look, and the adultery of the tongue is the licentious speech. The heart desires and yearns which the parts may or may not put into effect. You have no choice but to commit that sin. He has decreed it. He has decreed your sin 50,000 years before the foundations of the universe. Wow. And next, we are going to look at this one is a huge deal. Yeah. This one is even, this one will blow, if the last one didn't blow you away, this next one will. This is something. (laughs) What? Sahih Muslim, 2749. By him in whose hand is my life. Um, this is Abu Huraira reported that Allah's messenger, which is what they call Muhammad, this is what they report he said. By him in whose hand is my life. If you are not to commit sin, Allah would sweep you out of existence. 
and he would replace you by those people who would commit sin and seek forgiveness from Allah, and he would have pardoned them. Wow. So the whole purpose to force people to sin so that those people, according to the tenets of faith and the practice to go ahead and ask for forgiveness for the sin that they were forced to commit. Otherwise, they would be swept out of existence and replaced by someone who would do that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty big distinction and difference between the God of Scripture and the God of Islam. Yahweh, uh, for God so loved the world, what did he do? But how did he show us all his love? Exactly. Sin was such a big deal yeah. that he was willing to give us his son. That's how big of a deal it is. Yeah. For God the Father. Now, from what I understand, too, as far as the Islam teaching of Allah is, whereas in Scripture we read that, like you just said, he gave his only begotten son, that you have this trinity or a polytheist, as the Muslims would call us. But uh, uh, in Islam, they deny uh, Allah doesn't have a son. And that's yeah, a pretty I'll, sharp I'll, distinction. Uh, they, uh, they, they, um, I forget exactly where it is in the Quran, but it, it says, uh, this wouldn't be too hard to find if anybody wanted to look it up. It says, um, uh, how would Allah have had a son if he has not taken a wife? So they, even in there is a, a very, very, very different understanding of what it would mean for God to have a son. Right. They're speaking of it from the standpoint of, having a biological son right um whereas that is not at all what we mean when we say god the son right right yes a very very different under, and also um uh i'll show i'll i guess i'll show it here, here in a second but um um they uh they they the quran says that the trinity is not god the son or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy I, I do remember that, but why, why don't you mention that as we have this segue into what does the Quran actually say about Jesus? What does Islam actually teach? I know they teach he's one of their prophets, if you will, but on that, we would see Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, according to scriptures. So what does the Quran, what does Islam teach about Jesus, and what do they view as the Trinity, and how does Mary play a role? Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll just start with the um, the entire um, story of uh, Jesus in the Quran. You might think, well, man, that, that's going to be a lot of reading. Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, not really. Let's see, Quran uh, chapter three forty two. One moment. Okay, Quran uh, chapter three, starting in verse forty two. We're going to go pretty much through the entire story of Jesus. It's it's not it's not very much. All right, um, again, starting in uh, verse 42. Yeah. And remember when the angel said, O Mary, surely Allah has selected you and purified you and chosen you all, all, um, over all women of the world. O Mary, be devout to your Lord, prostrate yourself in prayer, and bow along with those who bow down. This is news of the unseen that we reveal to you, O prophet. Um, and when it's that, whenever the Quran says we, it's speaking about um, Allah. Allah refers to himself as we okay. um, all throughout the Quran. He refers to, 
which I, I don't understand. I don't understand it very much, considering that uh, Islam uh, emphasizes Tawheed. Allah is one, one, everything is one, God is one, right. singular, but then he refers to himself in a, in a multiple. But whenever it says we, it's talking about Allah. Okay. Um, we reveal right. to you, O Prophet, you were not with them when they cast lots to decide who would be Mary's guardian, nor were you there when they argued about it. Remember when the angels proclaimed, Oh, Mary, Allah gives you good news of a word from him. A word is referring to Jesus because uh, they call him the word of God. Okay. Um, kind of, so in some ways, yeah. kind of similar um, from him. His name will be the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, honored in this world and the hereafter. And he will be one of those nearest to Allah. And he will speak to people in his infancy. They believe that um, Jesus began speaking seconds after his birth. Okay. Um, saying, you know, that I am a prophet and started giving revelation immediately, right, right. out of the womb. Huh. And in adulthood, and will be one of the righteous. Mary wondered, How Lord, can I have a child when no man has ever touched me? An angel said, So will it be. And Allah creates what he wills. When he decrees a matter, he simply tells it, be, and it is. And Allah will teach him, writing it in wisdom, the Torah and the gospel. Huh. So we're going to go to, before I read any more, there are two, two huge problems here. Two huge problems. First of all, this is a mistranslation. It, no, the, the, the Quran never says Jesus. It says Isa. Right. Okay. Yeah. I remember Rick Warren prayed in the name of Isa years back, which was quite a controversy too. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you how many um, Christians um, historically at the time um, called um, Jesus Isa, and that would be none. Yeah. None. Uh, Jesus in uh, Hebrew, Yeshua, mm -hmm. Jesus in Arabic, what do what do Arab Christians call him even today? Yeshua. Okay. Not Isa. Mm -hmm. However, at the time in which this revelation was given, Muhammad was in Medina. And as I said previously, Medina was largely ruled over by three powerful Jewish tribes. Yeah. Who had odds, who 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 were not exactly pro-Christian. Right. Uh, they were not pro-Jesus. And I'll tell you another thing that uh, if you know your Bible very much, uh, Jews not exactly pro Esau or his descendants. Right. And I I know going back, I'm going to state this right now. This is this is what I believe to be true. This is my opinion based on what it seems to be true. But I cannot state what I'm about to say is fact. Okay. okay? It, it seems to me to be true, but I cannot prove that it's true. So take it for what it is. Um, anybody who listens to this, take it for what it is. I believe that Isa, I know, I do, I can tell you for sure that the Jews there at the time would call people who they didn't like Esau, and they would also refer to Jesus as Esau okay. as a derogatory term. And I believe Isa, he was there surrounded by the Jews. He had the Nasara around, which... okay. Again, they're, they're reasonably, they might have possibly been a heretical sect, 
I believe that it, uh, it seems to me that it's just a, um, a derived from a derogatory term for Jesus. Oh, okay. Isa, Esau. Yeah. In the Arabic tongue. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so that is one distinction. And also, you'll see here in verse number 48, it says the gospel. Right. Now, in Arabic, it says, or is it Arabic? The Injil. Okay. It says the Injil. Problem there. Another problem we got. The Quran says that every single time that Allah sends a people, a prophet, he does so, he does so in the tongue of the people. Jeel mm -hmm. okay. is not Arabic, and it certainly isn't um, Hebrew. It's Greek. Huh. Injil is Greek. Go back to the Greek Christians. Injil trans, uh, translates to the good news huh. in Greek. Yeah. <laughs> going all the way back, Christian, and it is a term used by Christians. Uh, you know, back then, and the, and those Greek-speaking parts of the world, they called it the Injil because that, that's a Greek word for it. Uh -huh. But uh, there's a problem when the Quran uses the term Injil because it, it it's directly contradicting what the Quran says about prophets. Wow. Yeah. Um, we're going uh go further in verse number forty-nine, and make him a messenger to the children of Israel to proclaim, I have come to you with a sign from your Lord. I will make for you a bird from clay. Breathe into it. And it will become a real bird by Allah's will. Uh, that is a mistranslation as all well. That is absolutely not what the Quran um, says in Arabic. Um, okay. It does not say by Allah's will. It clearly says, I will create a bird from clay. It says Jesus creates the bird from clay himself. And, and then um, it does not say by Allah's will. They're adding that. Um, okay. Uh, though, I, I'm not going to go into like translating software here in, in front of you. Uh, sounds right. a bit time consuming. It says, I will heal the blind and the leper and raise the dead to life by Allah's will. It does not say by Allah's will. And I will prophesy, uh, prophesize what you eat and store in your houses. Surely this is a sign for you if you truly believe. Going on through verse 50. And I will confirm the Torah revealed before me and legalize some of what had been forbidden to you. I have come to you with a sign from your Lord, so be mindful of Allah and obey me. Surely Allah is my Lord and your Lord, so worship him alone. This is the straight path. Clearly saying, do not worship me. Yeah. In the Quran, do not worship Jesus is what the Quran is saying. It's saying Jesus is telling the disciples, do not worship me. Yeah. Huh. Going on through verse 52. When Jesus sensed disbelief from his people, he asked, who will stand up with me for Allah? The disciples replied, we will stand up for Allah. We believe in Allah, so bear witness that we have submitted. Um, almost done here. They prayed to Allah, oh, oh, our Lord, we believe in your revelations and follow the messenger. So count us among those who bear witness. And the disbelievers made a plan against Jesus. Um, it's just referring specifically to the Jews. If you look in the um, hadith okay. against Jesus, but Allah also planned and Allah is the best of planners. This is a huge mistranslation. 
Yeah. Uh, it does not say the best of translation, <laughs> the best of planners. It says Allah is the best of deceivers. If you look uh -huh. through the hadith and it, if you look through the hadith and the, and the sources, it says Allah is the best of the deceivers and the deceitful. And Allah is the, he's like, he's the greatest trickster. So um, in a, so in essence, anybody that has like an English translation of a Quran, uh, essentially can't really trust the words written in the English translation because a lot of it's been mistranslated. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's deliberately mistranslated. Anything that, uh, <laughs> this is the, that first form of jihad. And, uh, this is, um, Takia. That right, that you were talking about, to this lie for the sake yeah. of, yeah. And so uh, they would consider it a big-time deal if they were to edit the Arabic Quran because they say that's the true Quran. They say the Quran isn't ever truly in um, uh, English or French or any other language. The, the, the Quran can only actually truly be in Arabic. So if we mistranslate any of this deliberately, Allah, that's a good deed if it leads people to Islam. Right. Yeah. And so anything that could possibly be a stumbling block or could be um, uh, considered controversial, then they deliberately mistranslate it. Yeah. And uh, if anyone wants to, if anyone just go to these sources, I'm saying you can go word by word that says, and they schemed yeah. and planned Allah best is planners of you. If you translate like, this little bit right here yeah not gonna say the best of schemers <laughs> or best of planners or best yeah. of planners right. it's not gonna say that um last verse remember when Allah said oh Jesus I will take you and raise you up to myself I will deliver you from those who disbelieve and elevate your followers above the disbelievers until the day of judgment and then to me you will all return and I will settle all your disputes huh. Key point, Islam clearly teaches that um, Islam clearly teaches that Jesus did not die on the cross. Mm. Allah only made it appear so. Um, and so I, I, I think there are a lot of issues there. If, 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 if our, our so-called disbelief as Christians is based on our belief that Jesus died on the cross and then rose again and all of these things, and if yeah. Allah tricked us to make it appear so, but it didn't really happen so, then I, how can we be held at fault for that which Allah made us to believe to be the case? That's true, because if the deception is a good thing and the deception is used to bring people to Allah, then the deception of Jesus not actually being on the cross, but us thinking he was, worked against his will. Yeah. Because we trust in the cross. We trust yeah. in his burial and his resurrection. So his scheme in that regard did not work for bringing people to him. No. So you might ask then, well, then what happened to Jesus? Right. This is what Islam teaches. Jesus is in paradise right now. The only man to have never died. Um, everybody else is in the grave, including Muhammad. Everybody. Everybody has died. Yeah. But not Jesus. Jesus is in paradise. Why is Jesus in paradise? He's going to come back on the day of judgment. On, the, uh, on those days. Um, 
he's the, he's the sign of the hour. He's going to come back to do a few significant things. Uh, if you pay close attention, you might notice yeah. some um, things that uh, might say the exact opposite of what we are to believe about the Antichrist in the end times. Yeah. Um, so Jesus is waiting in Jannah to come back. He's going to come back to break the cross. Break the cross, it says specifically, and give Christians one last opportunity. Jesus is going to give you as a Christian one last opportunity to deny that he is God and to submit that Allah is the only God and that Jesus is only a prophet and the Trinity is false. If you do not do that, Jesus is going to kill you on the spot. Yeah. Jesus is going to come back to kill the pig. Why? I don't know why the pig is so significant. Jesus <laughs> needs to come back. I, I actually don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, but that's one of the express reasons why Jesus is going to come back. They say he's right. going to come back to kill the Dajjal, which um, they claim is the, um, the Antichrist, but I have some reservations with that. that they right. want to equate it, but whatever. Um, but here's where we're going to get to something, um, something quite uh, significant. What is uh -huh. the final important reason Jesus is going to come back. Why is he waiting in paradise? Jesus is going to come back so that he can lead in the extermination of every Jewish person on the earth. Um, Jesus personally leads the wiping out of all the Jews. They are not given an opportunity to um, repent. Uh, there is no opportunity. Uh, uh, the Hadith say that um, even nature itself um, the plant life, the rocks themselves Whoa. will say, there's a Jew hiding behind me. Come get him. And mm -hmm. that is, um, and, and after that has happened, everybody um, that is a polytheist or an atheist or everybody else, they will be killed as well. Every person, every last person on the earth will be Muslim because everybody else will be wiped out. Uh, Jesus will be a ruler for 40 years and then he will die like any other man mm -hmm. but do does islam teach that jesus being born of mary is still jewish no he's not a jew because he wasn't um because in uh in the islamic uh in the um they would say in the semitic tradition you get your uh ethnic identity from your father mm -hmm. And uh, we have a very different understanding of the importance of Jesus being born of a virgin. Mm -hmm. you, uh, you know very well the, re the significance from the Christian perspective, but from the Jewish perspective, it's so that he, didn't, that he was not a Jew. Okay. He has no ethnic idea, identity within the Jews. In fact, uh, you can go and look online uh, on YouTube. There's a whole talks about it from um, imams um, and such talking about how in the in the Quran, Jesus, um, in other areas, like when Moses talks in the Quran, mm -hmm. he says, my people, uh, my people, and this other um, prophet will say, my people, but Jesus does not, they'll say, notice, Jesus does not say my people. Jesus says, oh, children of Israel. Huh. Okay. Quite, quite a difference as far as uh, the story of Christ and his infancy and his judgment in the end 
and his uh, relationship with the Jewish people than the Jesus of Scripture, you know. Uh, what's their understanding of the Christian Trinity? What do they teach about that? Uh, you know, I thought I was going to be able to remember the exact verse, uh, but um, they believe that the Christ, that, that the Quran says that the Trinity, um, that, that the Quran says that this is what the Christians believe about the Trinity. Okay. Um, it doesn't say that this is what the Trinity is. It, it's the, uh, the Quran says this is what the Christians believe the Trinity is. Uh, God the Son, or God the Father, God the Son, and God the Mother. Yeah. The Quran says that the Christians believe that Mary is part of the Trinity. Not. Yeah. Is that Surah An-Nisa? Does that uh, sound familiar? I was trying yeah, to do I'm a quick I'm just not Google. sure which verse it is within. I'm not sure which verse it is. Uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 171. I can look that up. Possibly. And I just did a quick Google search to find out, you know, what Sura look that up. It's it. in. But uh this might be it. Or chapter five, verse one sixteen. Might be chapter five, one sixteen. Chapter five, one sixteen. Let's see here. Well, maybe not. Hmm. Oh, no, I was trying to find it for you real quick. Yeah, I don't remember. 4171. I just looked up 4171. That Stuff. wasn't it either. There's references there. But yeah, so they believe in, they believe the Christians teach that the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and Mary. Yeah. Because, and... because they, because they say, um, because as um, that verse uh, I spoke about before, how can Allah have a son if he has not taken a wife? Right. But I, um, I, I've, I've, uh, if you think about that, there, there, there's a problem. There's a, there's a problem there. So you're saying that Allah cannot have a son if he ha doesn't have a spouse. But you're also saying that Mary had a son, but she didn't have a spouse, like from their, from their perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It says Mary had a son without um, uh, without a, a man, but you're saying that Allah cannot do the same. I don't yeah, see how but, that follows. Because then, from my understanding, the other aspect of uh, the teachings of Allah is that, whereas in Christianity, we would say, yes, God is omnipotent. He's omnipotent so far as that uh, he can do all things within his character. So we know in scripture in the book of Numbers that God is not man that he should lie. So God can't lie because God is all truth, right? And so God can do everything omnipotent uh, that's within his character because uh, all good morality stems from the intrinsic nature of God. But in Islam, correct me if I'm wrong, they teach that Allah is omnipotent, that he can literally do anything, that he can and he does, in fact, lie and deceive like you say. And so if, if they teach that Allah is omnipotent, he can literally do anything, yeah. then that verse there that says he can't have a son because he has, can't take a spouse, that speaks against his omnipotence, does it not? Yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't follow at all. Right. I, 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 yeah. 
it, it's, it's contradictory. So um, in my studies, as far as Islam and their teachings and views of Jesus, uh, uh, you had made mention that Jesus, uh, according to the Quran, had, I think it was a Quran, it may have been, I think, but uh, had, had created a bird, right? And I remember that there are miracles attributed to Jesus. Jesus is called Messiah. But none of those things are attributed to Muhammad. It seems like in the Quran that Jesus is really elevated to a very high level within their faith in doing things that Muhammad was unable to do or didn't do. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, uh... The Quran makes very clear. This is going to go, what I'm about to say is going to go against the mainstream uh, narrative in the West um, from Muslims. But the Quran is very clear that in multiple verses that the people keep coming up to Muhammad asking for signs and miracles. And, uh, and Muhammad tells them from Allah, he is only a plain warner. And there is one thing that uh, Muslims will say, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. What about the splitting of the moon? Because in, in, in the Quran, it says that um, the moon was split and it was a sign. Okay. okay, problem, problem. It does not say that Muhammad split the moon. That is not what the Quran says. Now, you might have a few translations where they add that in, and a lot of them still will not even say that. A lot of them will just say the moon was split. A few okay. of them will mistranslate it and say Muhammad did it like add that in a lot of them even still won't have the muhammad part in it does not say muhammad did that it just says the moon was split as a sign of the day of judgment and yada yada, yada. Oh. but it, it does not say it does not say that muhammad did it and also another problem if you look at quran in order of revelation right the verses were um allah says he is only a plain warner came after the verse that said that he split the moon oh yeah so we have no sign or wonder for you right and so and so uh, but jesus yes it says it uh i mean that one added by allah's will and all that other stuff usually when you read a quran and um in English, and they add stuff to it. They put it in brackets. I'm not sure exactly what translation that was. It might have been okay. Sahih International. Normally, okay. they add it in brackets, at least to kind of give you an idea that they're just trying to help you understand or what have you. That one didn't even have brackets. Right. But it does not say by Allah's will. It says Jesus came. We are. We just read through it. Jesus came, created a bird, and this create is. There's a specific word. In um, Arabic, it is not saying created like um, I could create a machine, invent a machine, and I build it. No, 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 no. Right. It means creation, like when God created the heavens and the earth. Like bara yeah. or ex nihilo, where he yes. creates out of nothing. Yes. Well, even though um, it does say he created the bird out of clay, yes, it's the, okay. the same word is there with the same context as what you just said. Yes. Yeah. That's it. He created. It says that. Jesus knew what was in their houses behind yeah. walls. He could yeah. tell them. That's what the verse said. Yeah. So he has special knowledge. He yeah. can create. He can do all of these things. He can talk immediately out of the womb as a newborn. Man, that would that would freak me out if my <laughs> children, as soon as they're born, instead of crying, they're just conversing with me. 
Yeah. <laughs> that would weird me out. So yes, it, it elevates Jesus specially, but Muhammad, he had nothing till he was 40, 40 years yeah. before Revelation. And, um, you know, um, uh, I guess that would be, uh, unless you have another few like wrapping up questions, I guess that would be a good stopping point only because we've got like two hours and 15 minutes or so now because um, maybe some other time if um if you wish we could get into like specific verses um but uh i don't want to be too long-winded to where you know we're um turning our brains into jelly here you're fine you're fine let me just let me try to tie it together okay so i can trim this part out because you're just talking about the elevation so let me let me try to tie this together all right so when you were talking about the fact that jesus is highly elevated in the faith of Islam is just fascinating to me because it's even like uh, Mormonism. If you read the early 1830 translation of the Book of Mormon, it still has references to the deity divinity of Jesus Christ. And so with a lot of these religious books, there's still evidence and hints of either A, the divinity, the deity of Christ, or the influence and in how powerful of a, a ministry he had 2000 years ago in Judea. And so, you know, that's, that's just quite interesting to see that within the Quran and, and the teachings within Muslims. Uh, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this video. I want to have you back because I want to go ahead and get into some Bible passages and see, okay, how do uh, your typical Muslim understand these verses? And what do the verses actually mean? And then uh, some other questions about Islam. Like I said, this was an interview that's been very long in the waiting that I've been really anxious to do to get some more information out there on Islam. And so I'm thankful that you've been able to be here. Uh, is there anything as we wrap this up that you want to share with the people that's uh, still watching this video or listening to the podcast? Any final words? Uh, yeah, as I've, um, as I've emphasized many times, I, uh, yeah, uh, yes, there's many times here I'll say, oh, well, they say this, but that's not true, blah, blah, blah. Don't mm -hmm. assume the worst of somebody that you know that is a Muslim. Don't, we should not um, assume bad intentions. Um, there's a lot of Muslims out there. They were brought up believing this. And mm -hmm. if they come to you, they think that they're, they're doing right by you. They're trying to let you make it to paradise, whether that be false or not. And if, if they tell you things that are untrue, um, you know, it does not mean that they're doing so deliberately. You know, um, uh, they might they might believe that to be true. Um, but, um, you know, we just uh, the importance of these things is just, uh, you know, uh, presenting Muslims with the truth. I'm presenting them with um, uh, with Christ and the peace that we have in Christ, that they can have some assurance um, because they are not afforded that assurance um, of, of any kind. Right. Um, so we need to just approach it in a loving way, but we need to be, you, uh, I would say that if, if you know somebody who's Muslim, uh, and just, uh, say, well, just let them tell you, well, what do you believe about this? Well, what do you believe about this? Mm -hmm. And they might come and say, oh, we believe in this. And we believe that they'll tell you all these things. All right. Just, uh, try and investigate it, search it out. And then, um, you may find that it won't be true come back to them say hey i see i'm not so, so sure about this ask questions mm -hmm. so they will appreciate that you're asking questions and if 
you take the time to ask the questions, they will appreciate that because Muslims are, um, I, I will give Muslims credit in one thing uh, for sure. Uh, it seems to me that in a lot of places, uh, they're more willing to speak scripture with anybody who will than even a lot of people who claim to be Christians are. Mm -hmm. um, and so they will be happy. So you start that dialogue. Um, yeah. uh, but just, just you, we just need to be bold, present the truth in a loving way. Um, I, I, I guess that would be the point of it. Just um, come back to come back to them and just say, well, this is the truth of Scripture. You know, this is the love that I that this is the love that I have from from Christ. <laughs> approach it that way, but be bold. But be yeah. bold. Um, I will tell you, uh, they're, uh, it's very different from their side. And in, in, in our churches, how often do we hear about Islam? Right. Well, we don't. We just right. talk about the Bible. We talk about Jesus. Talk about, you know, we just talk about Christian things. It is not so in, um, in, the, in Muslim tradition. You know, they go the, to the, um, uh, can't, yeah, mine's going blank. The uh, mosque, uh, mosque. Uh -huh. they go to the mosque and they're taught arguments against um, Christianity. Right. Um, they're taught all of these things. So uh, another mistake that we make as Christians is that we assume that because somebody makes an argument against us or the Bible, that they actually know what they're talking about. Yes. And we yeah. even assume the same thing with atheists. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a higher chance that atheists might know what they're talking about because maybe they're uh, uh, somebody who grew up in church and they just they have something against the church. Right. Yeah, that might be the case. But even with atheists, we do that. We, we make the same mistake where we assume that they actually know what they're talking about, and that they're not just repeating some right. argument that they got off the Internet. That is true. <laughs> yes. Uh, we make that mistake all the time. Yeah. So listen carefully to their arguments and be ready to refute them boldly with love listen carefully and when they when they when you listen to what they have to say you don't necessarily have to have an answer right then do you have to do you have to know it all no you don't i don't right. know it all no. i don't know it all when it comes to islam i've spent a whole lot of time studying it there's a lot of things i don't know mm -hmm. um you don't have to have all the answers right then just go back and say go back and get your answer. say i don't i might not have all the answers yeah but be ready to um defend the faith in a way to proclaim the gospel that is um that's how i should um, that's how i believe it should be done yeah. amen have a discussion not a debate you yeah. know and that's how hearts and souls are won uh so that they don't put up laws well, again, I appreciate you being on here. We're going to look forward to trying to get another second, third, 23rd uh, interview discussions, stuff like that. And so we'll be in prayer for you and some things you have upcoming as well. So for everybody else watching, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, share, blah, 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 all the other stuff you do. And until next time, God bless.